Hi, this is Ann Robertson, the pastor of the United Methodist Church of Westford in Westford, Massachusetts. This is the sermon from this morning, October 22nd, here at the Westford Church, and the title is Living with Woodchucks. Amen. Please remain standing for the reading of the gospel, which comes from the gospel of Luke in the 20th chapter, verses 9 to 14. Jesus began to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard and leased it to tenants and went to another country for a long time. When the season came, he sent a slave to the tenants in order that they might give him his share of the produce of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Next he sent another slave, and that one also they beat and insulted and sent away empty-handed. And he sent still a third. This one also they wounded and threw out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they discussed it among themselves and said, This is the heir. Let us kill him so that the inheritance may be ours. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. You probably gathered from the service thus far that I got inspired by the blessing of the animal service last week. And if you've been on my website or if you've listened to NPR this past month, which profiled the story a couple of weeks ago, you know that I have some history with woodchucks. My defense of the woodchucks when I served back at St. John's in Dover became the stuff of local legend, with even the local paper in Dover running a front-page story on Groundhog Day about my efforts. And I haven't seen the first woodchuck at the parsonage here, but in this season of stewardship, I wanted to lift up the cause of my furry friends. Because stewardship is not just about money. It's the attitude of the heart that recognizes that God is the owner of all that is. And like the tenants in the vineyard, we are the tenants in the vineyard, not the owners. That does include our money, but it also includes woodchucks and all those creatures that we so easily label as pests. I do have a long history with woodchucks. Grandma Robertson, who lived with us when I was growing up, was best known for her compassion towards wasps. She fed them sugar water on her finger. She accepted their stings as just merely ignorance on their part. And even when she fell into a whole nest of them and got stung all over her body, she maintained their goodness and their innocence. There was only one thing that Grandma loved more than wasps, and that was her flower gardens. She had many, we had about three acres of land growing up, and she had flower gardens in every corner, and they were beautiful. Now, it's hard to say why a woman who fed paper wasps on her finger would turn on a cute furry woodchuck, but when her forensic examinations turned up their teeth marks on her bulbs, the sentence was death. And into the house she came to find my father and his old army rifle. Now, no matter that in our household we grew up saving the mice from the cats and putting them out, filial duty called and my father reluctantly went out to hunt woodchucks. Now, this was my earliest remembered trauma. 
Even now, I can feel just the horror in my heart as he went for that gun and went outside. I threw the worst temper tantrums and fits that any child could ever throw. I remember running upstairs to my bedroom, putting my pillow over my head so I wouldn't hear the shots, and just screaming and crying. Eventually, my reactions ended the shooting, and we started getting these elaborate systems of netting and fences and those kinds of things. But it left its imprint on my soul. As I thought, what had those woodchucks done that they deserved death? They were hungry. They ate the food that God designed for them to eat. They weren't eating small children. They weren't competing with our family for a scarce food supply. They were just eating a few of Grandma's flowers. And for that, they died. And to this day, I can't find a good explanation for why that's right. My next trauma along these lines was self-inflicted. I was newly married, and as an adult, at least in theory, I awoke one morning to find a spider much too close to the bed. Now, I was terrified of spiders, but I was blessed with a mother growing up who was not. So I had the system all in place. You see a spider, you yell, Mother! And she comes running in, she scoops it up, and she takes it outside, and she releases it. Well, my mother was not in my current living arrangements, and so I did the next best thing, and I called for my dutiful husband, David, there's a spider And he came running in to do his manly thing, and he saw it, and he went, squash. (laughs) He looked very pleased. He'd done his job. (laughs) And I was crushed. I didn't mean, no, you weren't supposed to kill it. You're supposed to take it outside and catch and release. You know, you take it out. (laughs) And then something again seemed wrong with the world, but now it was me. And I thought, One of God's creatures got squashed just because it had more legs than I was really comfortable with it having. The spider wasn't a threat to me. It died just because I didn't happen to like the way it looked. It infringed on my comfort, and because I wouldn't touch it to carry it to safety, it died. I remembered the woodchucks, and I felt somehow that I'd sinned, although I didn't have a real sense of why. And the answer to that question came a number of years later in a TV commercial for pest control. When you're living in Florida, there are lots of TV commercials about pest control because there's all kinds of things living in your house. And there was sort of Joe Pest Control, this kindly man entering a house to do his job. But when he got inside, the man suddenly transformed into this techno-warrior, this armored agent of destruction, shooting up scampering pests like a stormtrooper on the Death Star. And finally, as I watched that commercial, I understood more what had bothered me about the woodchucks and the spider. And it came in the form of a question. What right, I thought, do we human beings have to simply obliterate everything in our environment that troubles us? It seems extreme to us to consider bugs as having importance. But doesn't it start there? Does the environment belong to me? 
We sang songs in church about God's eye being on the sparrow. Was it only birds? Didn't God make the mosquito? I do mean to ask God about that choice at one point in in my life. But the fact remains that every creature we see is part of what God created and said at the end of the day, this is good. On what day did God make pests? If God is in fact real and present and author of all life, if God made it all and called it all good, who am I to refuse to live among certain forms of it? Worse, who am I to invade where others live and demand that my right to live there is greater than those who lived there first? And as I thought about that more, it seemed like maybe some of the terrible atrocities that we've perpetrated against Native Americans, Jews, African Americans, against children even, could perhaps start in our nonchalance as we allow the label of pest to creep up the food chain, baby step by baby step. First, the roaches and the ants that have no place at our picnic then the mouse and the squirrel that shouldn't be taking up residence in my warm rooftops and walls. Then it was the woodchuck that shouldn't spoil the beauty of our gardens, the deer that shouldn't share in our crops, the coyote or the wolf that shouldn't cut into our ranching profits. And once we're up to labeling deer and wolves and bears as pests, it's only a small step to those bratty kids since they shouldn't disturb our adult activities or demand attention. And then it's only another just small step to those who, for reasons only of difference, frighten us or make us uncomfortable. I know you probably think I'm out of my mind. (laughs) But I think the ability to kill a man because of the color of his skin might well begin way back with the ability to crush a spider merely because it's got too many legs. Now, before you go storming the pulpit, let me say that I'm not saying that killing something is never necessary. I understand about disease, rabies, there's real danger. When a mosquito bites me, I swat it. I'm not even a vegetarian. But we've gone so far in the other direction, we've forgotten to be grateful for the gifts of the earth. Take the Native American hunter, he killed animals but he did so with a reason and with gratitude. He killed a buffalo or a deer because it was needed for food and for shelter and for the village. And when he killed, he gave thanks. He thanked God for the gift, and he also thanked the animal for the gift of its life. It was about survival, not sport. One of my pet peeves is I don't think killing should ever, ever, ever be a sport. God isn't about rules and law, and I'm not about to suggest that some rigid set of laws be set up for when it's okay to kill something and when it's not. But I will go to my death defending the reality that God is love. And I would be shirking my duty as your pastor if I didn't say that even in the smallest things we do, maybe most especially in the smallest things we do, To put God in the center of our lives means to do everything with love. If you can kill with love and gratitude, you may kill. And I hold to that whether we're talking about squashing a bug or executing a criminal.
God is love. And any action not taken in love is an action outside of God. Love is the ruling principle of all that there is. There's nothing that I believe more strongly than that. To the extent that we act with love, our lives will become more harmonious and healthy. To the extent that we exclude love from our actions, we'll fall prey to the fears and diseases, both of body and of soul, that surround us. Not because God has abandoned us, but because we have abandoned God's love. Now, the trustees back at St. John's had no idea what they were stepping in when they innocently suggested that we remove the woodchucks from the church property and from the parsonage property. And I'm not here to make anybody feel guilty or condemned. Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But I am here to push all of us to a life that has more love in it. A life that consciously thinks about what we do each moment. When I swat that mosquito on my arm, I at least say, oh God, sorry. (laughs) To think about what we're doing, to be conscious of what we do all the time. To really have a life that strives at all times and in all places to keep love in the center. There are plenty of places where I'm still completely blind to my own sin and to my own complicity in the sins of others. But God has given me eyes to see the lack of love for God's earth and for God's creatures. And that sight becomes my calling to those who are blind to see again all that God has made. The steps are tiny and often unnoticeable until some atrocity like the Holocaust is before us. Rwanda, things going on now in the Congo and Darfur, and we have no concept of how we got there. I don't think we get there in one great leap. We get there small step by small step. The principle is illustrated in a quote by Martin Niemöller, a German Lutheran pastor speaking about the Holocaust and how it developed. He says, and I quote, In Germany, they first came for the communists, and I didn't speak up because I wasn't a communist. Then they came for the Jews, and I didn't speak up because I wasn't a Jew. Then they came for the trade unionists, and I didn't speak up because I wasn't a trade unionist. Then they came for the Catholics, and I didn't speak up because I wasn't a Catholic. Then they came for me, and by that time, there was nobody left to speak up. Studies have shown that children who are cruel to animals grow up to be people who are cruel to people. Genesis tells us that we were created from the dust of the ground, and in a very real way, we are the same stuff of the earth and with every other creature that was created from it. What we do to the earth and to the creatures, we do to ourselves. And when we refuse to speak up for the others who are taken... Eventually, they will come for us. We prepare the way both for great acts of terror or for great acts of love by the little acts of terror or of love that we do every single day. The choice is up to us. So choose woodchucks. Choose life. Choose love. Amen. 
Thanks for subscribing to Spirit Walker Sermons. If you're ever in the area, stop in for worship at 9.30 a.m. on Sunday mornings at 10 Church Street in Westford, Massachusetts. I'd love to have you stop by my website at www.annrobertson.com, where you can also subscribe to a weekly devotion, which you can receive either as an email or a podcast. I'd love to hear from you via email at ann at annrobertson.com. Thanks again for subscribing, and I hope your week is filled with God's blessings. Music